If you love scratches from the Virginia Lottery, you'll love the high roller blackjack scratcher with a chance to win up to 10 times your prize. Look for it at your favorite Virginia Lottery retailer. In fact, you can drive there right now. Now that's an everyday win. Odds of winning any prize, 1 in 4.16. Contracts, salary caps. Why do our favorite teams make some of the moves they do? It's usually the money. It's time for the business of sports with Andrew Brandt. Hey there, boys and girls. Welcome to another edition of the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt, special edition with Charlie Ebersol, the founder, along with Bill Polian, of the Alliance for American Football starting this week, the new football league in the void that we have after the NFL season ended. More on that in a minute. The Business of Sports podcast is presented by BetOnline.ag. They're your online sportsbook experts. And of course, they're the exclusive partner of Podcast One Sportsnet. Use the promo code PODCAST1. You get a 50% sign-up bonus, betonline.ag. I'll start you out with my rants. Brant's rants of the week, a couple quick ones. First on the NBA, what's going on with this trade deadline. I think it's fascinating that you have stars holding teams hostage, like Anthony Davis and the New Orleans Pelicans. What he's doing, to me, is fascinating as an expert and student on the business and legal issues in sports Collective bargaining agreements, including especially that of the NBA, are designed with this in mind to keep stars where they are, to keep them with their incumbent teams, because players like Davis can make so much more money staying in New Orleans. Chris Bosh could have made more money staying in Toronto. LeBron James, of course, could have made a lot more money staying in Cleveland the first time, staying in Miami the second time, staying in Cleveland the second time and staying uh, in Cleveland just now before we went to L.A., but they leave. And Kevin Durant, of course, could have made a lot more money staying in Oklahoma City. Gordon Hayward could have made more money staying in Utah. This is what happened. So what did the CBA do? It even created more of a disparity with the Supermax contracts. So here we are with Anthony Davis. If he stays and size an extension with the Pelicans, could make $240 million. That's life-changing wealth beyond anyone could ever expect as an athlete. But now, look what he could do. He's turning his back on that. He threw his agent and said he wants out, and specifically to the Lakers. And, of course, we're going through the machinations now of a trade, and the Lakers are offering up all their spare parts, all their young players, all their draft picks, taking on bad contracts. The whole deal, still no deal. But as we sit here today, as I record on Wednesday, 24 hours before, the uh, NBA trade deadline where it looks like the talks are off. I say talks will be back on. I say this deal happens. There's too much in the air about it. It does happen. But the bigger picture from a legal point of view is the CBA creates all these incentives to keep players where they are, and it's not working. It's not working. The players are leaving to play at better places for them to have more opportunities to win, to go to the big markets. So, the next CBA is going to have to address this. And how do you address this? I dealt with this in my class. I teach sports law at Villanova where I run a program. How do you do that? And students came up with, well, have a hard cap because then if you're paying, you know, play, if you, well, that won't help New Orleans because a hard cap, they can pay Davis as much as they want, but uh, they're going to be very limited otherwise. Another idea, take one player out of the cap. Again, you could do that. You could have even more financial incentives for players to stay where they are. But the financial incentives aren't the deal because Anthony Davis is turning his back on, I don't know, 70, 80, 90, 100 million dollars by going elsewhere. But as people know, they make so much with shoe contracts. They make so much outside. They're such 
uh, factors in all sports that these superstars run it, that they're dictating terms. Now, some do stay. James Harden signs the Supermax in Houston. Steph Curry, of course, signing the Supermax in Golden State. But, you know, these these players are able to do this. So I think it's fascinating. I don't know the answer. But think about it if you're a listener. It's something intriguing to think about. And let me know your thoughts. What do you do to keep stars where they are if they don't want to stay? Money doesn't do it alone. And even these wide disparities of money, 60, 80, 100 million dollars. Oh, my God. It's not working. Something to think about. The other rant of the week is obviously we just had the Super Bowl. A couple things on the Super Bowl. First of all, the rating or hundred million dollars, hundred million people. It sounds like it's down. People are saying it's down. It's one of the lowest Super Bowl ratings in recent years. Give me a break. To get to get a hundred million people to watch anything in this day and age with thousands of content choices is amazing to me. That they got a hundred million people to watch, and it's a bad game. It was not a good game, and all these casual fans that are watching that didn't go away. Now I know they're in Super Bowl parties and blah blah blah, but they stayed with it. So that's a fascinating fact to me that they stayed with the game even though it was not a good game. And the other thing about the ratings, it, it did a forty-four share in LA, which was under the the forty-five share nationally. That's okay. that's expected. LA's no matter how good their team is, it's LA. You know, people are going to do other things, even for a Super Bowl with their ostensibly their team, although their team is still new to them. I was a little more surprised. People talk about a 57 share in Boston. It sounds like a great share, but my question is, well, what are the other 43% of TVs watching? 43% of TVs in Boston are not watching the Patriots in the Super Bowl? That shocked me. Uh, so that was interesting. The other thing is on the game itself, again, could have gone either way. People talk as if the Patriots dominated the game. I don't think so. I think the Rams were right there and lost. But now we have to focus on the Patriots. What they've done is amazing. I talk about sports law and sports business in this world where it is competitive balance is everything in sports, where all these rules and regulations are designed to achieve competitive balance parity is what I call it like a reverse order draft, like free agency, and of course the salary cap, the Patriots have thrived. And their run of sustained success is compelling. It's something to admire. You look at it in basketball, San Antonio Spurs, they're just very few teams. We we tried to do that in football as the Packers. I think we were close. But the Patriots' uh, ability to win throughout all these restrictions is uncanny. Uh, They just seem to be now, they're lucky in that the Dolphins, the Jets, and the Bills have not been formidable opponents. They started every year 5-1, and 6-0, and 4-2, whatever it is, basically looking at the games they're going to win. Yeah, that's good. That's a nice start. Uh, and, of course, Tom Brady taking less money. That's not the mystery that he does. Of course he does. I've, I've documented that many times. The question is why and the mystery behind it. We may never know. I don't think it's as simple as having a rich wife. I don't think it's as simple as trying to help out the team. I don't get it. He's got a good agent. He's a competitive guy, but he takes so much less than market-level quarterbacks at his top tier. Again, so that's my rant in the week. It's about the strange doings in the NBA with stars dictating terms. I predict a deal with the Pelicans and Anthony Davis to the Lakers will happen. And, of course, the sustained success of the Patriots in this age of parity and competitive balance is stunning. That's my rant of the week. Now, on to a word from our another sponsor, MetPro. It's a proven platform. I had the CEO, Angelo Poli, on last week or a couple weeks ago 
fascinating discussion about analyzing an individual's metabolism, giving people personalized approaches to obtaining their goals. MetPro's got these industry-leading experts that challenge what's out there and teach people how to live optimally with their weight, with their performance goals, with their life goals. There's no guesswork. You give them data, and they use the data. This idea of metabolic profiling, it gets all of us to see our baseline, how the body responds to a set of variables. The experts take these results, and you have simple action steps. So all the people that fail on diets and they fail when it comes to nutrition are going to be changed by this. You take your progress to the next level. They're empathetic coaches. They know people have busy schedules, stressful lives, but they work one-on-one to identify needs, response to diet, activity. They make adjustments, and they make you achieve your personal and professional and lifestyle goals. So go to metpro.co. That's where it happens. Again, metpro.co. And when go there, use slash BOS business of sports to sign up to learn from one of their special experts on achieving the best in life for you. Now on to our special guest in this week's podcast. I really have something special for you. It is Charlie Ebersol, along with Bill Polian. Charlie Ebersol, you know the last name, son of Dick Ebersol, royalty in the business of sports television. They created the Alliance for American Football. It starts this week. It goes basically from the end of the NFL season to the NFL draft from February 9th to April 27th. You're going to hear about how it was funded, how it came to be, who's involved, their relationship with the NFL or lack thereof, their relationship with the XFL or lack thereof, what they're paying players, what the value of these teams are, who owns them. Without further ado, the chairman and founder, co-founder of the Alliance for American Football, New Football League, starting this week, Charlie Ebersol. Charlie, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm going to give you an open landscape. Tell us how the AAF came to be and how you are looking to fill our void of us wanting more football and going through this withdrawal after the Super Bowl. <laughs> the saddest Sunday in America is no longer <laughs> going to have to be sad. Indeed, you're correct. About three years ago, um, or a little over three years ago, uh, I did the 30 for 30 about the XFL, about my dad and Vince um, creating a league together. And during the course of it, I spent a lot of time looking at the papers and the numbers and what they'd made and what had worked and not worked. And Tom Veet, who is the head of business operations today for me in the, X, uh, in the AAF, was the general manager of the Orlando team, the XFL, and he went on to help create the USL, the United Soccer League, and he was a, he was a president in um, the MLS for quite some time. And he and I spent a lot of time during the filming of the documentary talking about, if you were going to do this again, how would you do it? And out of those conversations over about six months, we developed a business that was um, a interesting business model if you focus not just on football but on technology and if you could build something larger than just something for football. And then I went to my father and I said, look, the only thing that matters is quality football. You can have all, you can have the best business model in the world, but if you don't have quality football, it doesn't matter. Who do you think can help do that? And he said, well, I think you need to go talk to Bill Polian and see what he thinks, it's, if it's viable or even a good idea. And I called um, Bill and said, you know, are you willing to sit down? He said, yeah. I went and had breakfast with him for about five hours. And after the breakfast, I called my father and I said, so Bill not only thinks it's a good idea, he wants to co-found it with me. What do you think? Mm. And my dad said, look, if you have Bill Polian, you're the greatest team builder of the modern era of professional sports, do it. 
And from there I moved forward and we went off and we, uh, he went and built a cadre of um, coaches and general managers that have combined over 500 years of NFL experience, um, 21 Super Bowls, um, untold number of college national championships. And we, on my side, I went and raised money in Silicon Valley from technical, uh, from tech investors around the idea that we were going to not only launch a football league, but we we're going to build this tech business that had the ability to really, in our view, revolutionize how data is captured and sent from, from sports um, games to everyone from gambling to daily fantasy to medical to all the areas where um, data really hasn't been able to be done. And this Saturday, um, we will launch the first game of the Alliance of American Football and alongside it, we'll launch an app that for the first time in professional sports history will be truly fully real-time, meaning we'll deliver data in under 400 milliseconds, which is under half a second, um, and allow people to play um, in-game uh, guessing plays, play-to-play. And then part of that is our partnership with MGM, which ultimately, not on day one, but ultimately, will allow fully in-game betting, which has uh, never existed before. So much to unpack here, but since you mentioned it, let's stay on the app <laughs> and the di- differentiator you're talking about with real-time data and analytics Explain how that'll work and how that differentiates you from the NFL in terms of coming up right away with this real-time data and analytics. What kind of things will be shown and how will viewers interact? Well, first and foremost, one of the things that we focused on was the fact that if you started from scratch, if you didn't have all of the antiquated technology that's been built on top of, on top of, on top of over the last couple of decades. If you started from scratch, you could eliminate a lot of the challenges. One of the major challenges is that the capture of the data using chips on the players and software and other analytics, um, the capture of that data and delivery to the end user right now takes anywhere from 10 to 30 seconds, which basically eliminates the ability to do in-game betting as one example, because Mm -hmm. it's basically like you're in the movie The Sting someone sitting in the stadium with their cell phone is way ahead of what you're seeing on television or what you're seeing in StatCast or GameCast or any of these data delivery devices. And so we focused first and foremost on narrowing that down as low as we could, and we got it as low as 200 milliseconds. Then we created smart chips and smart software, which puts machine learning and uh, artificial intelligence around that data to be able to create predictive analytics. We call it precast. So with precast, we're able to tell you the likelihood of them running to the right or throwing to the left Hmm. or running down the middle, et cetera, et cetera. We create a game that is not a gambling game. It's just a fun-to-play game on our app on day one where you can guess those things. Ultimately, that will evolve through our partner, MGM, into an in-game betting platform where you can take bets play-to-play. You seem to be focused on the gambling side, and again, the NFL is starting to embrace that. It is a tricky dance with their integrity arguments. You feel you sound like you're all in, and, and you know what an incredible fan well, engagement tool that gambling is. You know, gambling is a two-edged sword. We are not a gambling company for exactly the same reason the NFL isn't, which is mm-hmm. we don't want to take bets on our own games. That would obviously create all kinds of integrity issues. The other thing about gambling, which I don't think gets talked about very much, but I think is the real challenge for both the NFL and I think for us as well, is that football is the only true four-quadrant piece of entertainment in the United States. Mom, Dad, Billy, and Sue all watch football in almost equal parts. Saturday Night Football is about 48, 52, or 52, 48, male, female. 
in its breakdown, when you look at the age demographics, it's pretty even across all four quadrants. The challenge that that creates for gambling is that gambling really skews male and skews male 18 to 36. So you have to figure out a way to create engagement around that that is much, much closer to what the viewership is. Otherwise, your primary engagement device, which is going to be gambling potentially, is going to undermine what is your single biggest advantage, which is that you have as almost as many women and children watching as you do men with football, which no other piece of entertainment enjoys. So mm-hmm. I think that what we've tried to focus on is how do you build a standardized data collection company that can then create solutions for all types of engagement? Because what, you know, fantasy is a much closer male female split than right. daily fantasy and, and daily fantasy is more, is, is still more evenly numbered than gambling. So how do you create products out of that, that get, you know, mom, Billy and Sue to be as interested as dad. And in that situation, we think that by creating a standard set that we've built and then giving people the ability to build on top of it, our partners like MGM, but also our fantasy partners, as well as our medical partners, as well as our, our mobile game partners, um, we think is really important. It's one of the reasons that on Saturday, the product you'll actually see um, when you see the real-time animation is animated in a way that looks closer to like Madden meets Angry Birds than it is something that's heavily male skewing because we wanted the game to feel consumable by everybody, given that it's the first time ever in professional sports history anyone's ever been able to see the data in real time. It's fascinating. You know, I want to peel back a little bit, Charlie, with your name being royalty in sports broadcasting, of course, your father, Dick Eversall, and your connection now, of course, with Bill Polian, speaking of royalty, certainly NFL royalty, I know Bill well from my time in the NFL, my time at ESPN. So I know this is how you're going to answer this question, which is <laughs> we're not competing with the NFL. We're all we're all in with the NFL. But explain the relationship, if you will, because, again, you've also mentioned the XFL in relationships back in the day, and that's coming again later. So talk about how you're going to work with, alongside the NFL and whether you are planning on having any competition with them. Well, when you talk about the NFL, you have to talk about the ecosystem of football, right? So 200 million people watch football, um, professional and collegiate, between the middle of August and the, and, and the middle of February. And then 80 million people stop watching sports altogether until football comes back. Hmm. So football is this galvanizing moment in America that only exists for six months and then for another six months goes away. However, the difference between college football and professional football is really significant. Um, The speed of the play, the quality of the play, the size of the players, the development of the players physically, mentally, um, et cetera, is such that there's a very big gap. 26,000 kids graduate division one football every year in the United States. And only about 200 of them get a gig in the NFL or a shot at a gig in the NFL. So the marketplace has an arbitrage around fans, but also has an arbitrage around players. Now, football is also the only sport that doesn't have a developmental league. Every other, every other league in all of sports has a developmental league. I mean, everything from NASCAR to hockey to baseball to soccer to basketball, everyone, you can play that sport in multiple places except football. Right. And so what we look at is how do you support the ecosystem of football from a developmental standpoint, making the game better? by putting more players in finding the Kurt Warners that are hiding there in those 25,000 kids each year that don't get drafted in the NFL 
finding those guys, but also developing all the aspects around football. So what does that mean? That means I have 85 referees that are being overseen by Mike Pereira and Dean Blandino. Underneath them, of those 85 referees, 30 of them are currently in the NFL's ODP process, which is their process to prepare uh, referees to, to be officials in the NFL. So mm-hmm. that process normally takes 12 years. In our system, it could take as little as four. We're looking at, can you fly Skycam over the defense, something the NFL's never allowed, but we can develop that and take a look at it and see. Our data collection system, our healthcare system, all of these things support the NFL and professional football in general and make it better. And part of that is because unlike everyone who's tried to do this before me, the big difference between us and all those people is how similar we are to the NFL, not how different we are. Everybody, you know, the XFL tried to replace the coin toss with the scramble and all these other kind of marketing gimmicky, catchy things that all the other leagues have done. We've gone the other way. We only have nine or 10 changes to the entire NFL rule book in our rule book because we want players to be able to come play in our league. We give them an NFL out. So during our off season, they go back to the NFL. That has led to a, a very positive relationship with the NFL. It's the reason why we have 19 of our 43 games are going to be on NFL network. It's why we've sent 71 players to the NFL in the last six months. It's why 35 of them have been released to come back and play for us um, underneath that NFL out contract we created. We look at this as being a very significant partnership and being complementary. And I think that's also the thing that differentiates us from everyone that's trying, that has tried to do this before and is trying to do it now is look at who we brought in to do it. Bill Polian, Mike Martz, Mike Singletary, um, Troy Palomaro, Heinz Ward, uh, Willie Lanier. These are, these are um, led, not only legends of the game, but they're deeply, deeply rooted in the NFL. And ultimately, I believe that for this to work, you've got to have quality football. And to have quality football, players have to feel safe to come play in your league and be able to go back and play in the NFL. Tell me about player economics. Three-year contracts I've heard with an out towards the NFL. And tell me about numbers. Is there a salary cap? Are there standard contracts every player signs? Is there any room for negotiation? Every player in the league signs a three-year contract worth $250,000. $70,000 the first year, eighty the second, one hundred the third. In addition okay. to that contract, they sign a commercial license agreement, which affords them the ability to earn bonuses for on-field performance. If you're an offensive player and the offense scores a touchdown, you get a bonus. If your team wins, you get a bonus. If you do charity work, you get a bonus. If, you, if your team sells a jersey, you get a bonus. So on top of a non-guaranteed $70,000 contract this year, you probably, and on top of it, we give you a one-year scholarship for every year you play in our league to post-secondary education. So we look at this as being uh, a financially advantageous. You make the most money in our league of any available alternative league that's in the marketplace right now. And if you're a very successful player in our league at getting Twitter followers, doing charity work, et cetera, you can make more money above that. And then, like I said before, we offer an NFL out so the player can leave our league and go play in the NFL um, if the chance arises for them. And that's completely... um... I guess unfettered. I mean, I know your number one draft pick overall, Josh Johnson, went right to the NFL, and I believe he's going to stay there with the Redskins. So is there any um, – you, you don't put any kind of fence in front of a player that has a chance to go to the NFL. Is that correct? Well, they can't go to the NFL during our season. So between December 29th and April 29th, they have to play in our league. Cause that, and that is probably the biggest reason why we don't distinguish ourselves – as a developmental league, because obviously in like triple A baseball, the players can get pulled, you know, right. during a game um, and get pulled up. We don't allow that. Um, but if you look at the 71 players that we released to the NFL, including Josh being the best example, we also have guys like Garrett Gilbert, who we allowed to go to the NFL. He played for the Panthers and then he came back and now he's a starting quarterback for the Orlando team. 
That's a perfect example of a player who could have stayed in the NFL but chose to come play in our league because he thinks he can greatly improve his positioning in the NFL by getting reps in a pro-style offense on national, on multiple national television stations, including the NFL Network and CBS and Turner, um, and improve his position in the NFL. And we support that because ultimately, look at Kurt Warner. Kurt Warner is the ultimate example of the validity of what an alternative league could be if the business right. model was predicated on something bigger than just selling tickets and hot dogs. So we've talked about player economics. Tell us about league economics. Who has ownership value in these teams? Is it, is it through the league? Is it, is, I'm understanding these teams are not with quote-unquote owners, correct? Correct. It's a single entity. So all of the okay. teams are owned by the league. All of the players are full-time employees of the league, which is how we're able to offer such, uh, such exceptional medical coverage for them and their families, as well as 401ks and all the other benefits that they get. Um, they're all employees of the league, all the coaches, all the executives, all the general managers, everyone is an employee of the league. And then they're, um, they have their various teams. Yeah, this is familiar. I was the first general manager of the Barcelona Dragons of the NFL uh, World League. That's how we operate as well. Of course. Um, the, uh, the investment. So I know you may not be privy to tell me, you know, names of investors, but this sounds like it's, it's quite a venture. So is this something you mentioned, yeah. sort of your tech uh, background and knowing people out in Silicon Valley? It seemed like a big raise, was it? And uh, how is this league being funded, or is it fully funded? Um, we raised uh, a significant portion of our money from Silicon Valley, and a lot of that was around the idea of building a technology platform that had total control over a sports league so you could actually do it. Because if you look at data capture and all these other things, one of the challenges is that these leagues have a lot of history uh, historical debt, meaning they've been building technology on top of technology. So they've got all of that antiquated tech. Then they have players unions, then they have existing media deals. And then on top mm -hmm. of all of that, they have just the institutional challenges of pushing things through, you know, 60, 70, 80, hundred year old businesses. So we looked at what major league baseball advanced media did, bam, and said, what they succeeded doing is they corralled all the digital rights from all 30 teams and then they built. But if they'd been able to corral all the rights across the league, imagine what they would have been able to build there. And the fact that BAM sold for $4.5 billion right around the same time I was raising my money helped significantly because mm -hmm. people saw where the opportunity was. My, my set of relationships, particularly at the league you know, commissioner levels, the um, Roger Goodell's and Adam Silver's, et cetera, was helpful in helping technologists understand how that relationship between us and those leagues ultimately would prevail because we're not just looking for consumer adoption of our technology. We're looking for proving our technology for commercial relationships for the leagues to be able to buy our data set like the MGM did and invest in us the way that MGM did is, is sort of proof in the pudding. We also raised our money over the course of several rounds so that we could diversify the type of investors. So we started with Silicon Valley. We added on to Silicon Valley with investors like MGM. We brought on high net investors. We brought on current and former team owners from multiple different leagues. We brought on athletes, you know, Shaquille O'Neal being a great example of one of our bigger name celebrity investors. That was all by design because as the company grew, like any technology company, the valuation of the company went up and we were able to sell significantly um, larger stake, excuse me, smaller stakes of the company for larger sums of money. 
Um, and look, this is a massive investment. You're talking about mm-hmm. hundreds of millions of dollars over the first five or six years to build this business out. And so you have to show them multiple ways in which they can get their money out of this. Because obviously people who have attempted to do this around football have not succeeded um, in the past. And so how do you create that environment where they feel like they're going to succeed? The technology, the media development, all the things we're building, which are all owned by the parent company they're investing in, at least gives them some level of comfort. Yeah, it's interesting. You mentioned Shaq and other names. I know a friend of mine, Justin Tuck's involved as well. Um, he's obviously yeah, a role model. Just Tuck is involved Wharton. also because Tuck and I went to college together at Notre Dame. We had like eight classes together, and I think I cheated hmm. off of them in like six of them. So whenever I'm trying to do something big, I need to have you know smarter people around me, and a smarter Notre Dame graduate is always a good place to start. <laughs> You mentioned briefly something your father was very involved in, and obviously I can't, uh, I'd be remiss to not bring it up. The XFL is coming back 2020. Uh, They obviously have serious investment as well, probably in-house investment more than anything else from WWE and Vince McMahon. I'm assuming your three-year contracts do not allow an out to the XFL, which begins in a year. And how do you look at them coming on the the landscape as well as you? One of the great benefits of having 500 years of NFL experience among my executives is that I have about 21 Super Bowl rings amongst them. And the guys that have the rings tell me that the way they won the rings was those years were the years they didn't concentrate on the competition. They just concentrated on themselves and they built a team. And the only competition they had was themselves. And all the years that they lost Super Bowls or didn't go to the Super Bowl was the years they were focused on the competition. We don't believe we have competition. We are launching um, in 2019. No one else is launching an alternative football league this year. Nobody else has television deals. Nobody else has the coaches. Nobody else has the GMs. Nobody else has a co-founder who has built football, not only football teams, but football leagues in the past, who's a Hall of Famer. Um, so we don't, we don't look at what other people are trying to do. We only look at what we are actually doing. A lot of people have talked about launching alternative leagues. A lot of people have talked about massive investments. Very few have ever gotten to the starting line, and nobody is at the starting line with us today. Will you let players leave for a league beyond the NFL? I'm assuming the answer is no. 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 Our, our contract only allows players to leave for the NFL. So would a, if a player a year from now wants to go to the XFL, what would happen? He's under a multi-year contract to us. He couldn't. Okay. Um, if you work for ESPN and you have a three-year contract with ESPN, go to ESPN after the first year and say, hey, I want to go work for CBS. What does ESPN right. say to you? Good luck. <laughs> no, you're contract, say, you no. can't leave. I get it. They say, we've invested in you. Here's the thing. We're not paying to develop players to go for another league. The NFL right. is, a, is a partner. The NFL is the ultimate goal. The NFL is where these players could go make millions of dollars. We're not going to stand in the way of them doing that, but we're not going to develop players for a different league. That makes absolutely no business sense. Talk briefly, if you would, I mean, final minutes here with, uh, with Charlie Ebersol, AAF, starting this weekend. What, talk about the teams, star players, what we look for opening weekend from the AAF. There are going to be some really interesting names that come up. I mean, they're the names that people know. Um, Trent Richardson in Birmingham, Aaron Murray in Atlanta, um, Zach Mettenberger and Christian Hackenberg in, in Memphis. Um, and then there are names that I think people don't know, like the middle linebacker in, um, in San Diego, Tupelo, who I think is going to be a star based on what mm-hmm. we saw at training camp. He's a really good player in preseason. He's in on every tackle. He has a kind of Troy Palomalo style of play. 
Um, he just always seems to be where the ball is. I think you're going to see guys that over the course of the season are starting to build their names and build their brands. But also I think what you're going to see is a quality of play that people haven't seen before in this iteration. Um, we did, we had all eight teams play preseason games last week and we did a full production compliment and everyone, we had uh, 16 NFL scouts there. We had a dozen um, of the sports book makers from everyone from MGM to Golden Gate, et cetera. And the one thing that came back was that the quality of play was so surprising, um, mm. which, I, you know, I, I guess it shouldn't be that surprising when you consider how many players are getting really, really good training in college based on how these programs have become, you know, multi-million dollar programs that didn't exist right. as recently as when they did the XFL 17 years ago. Um, but I'm surprised how quickly they adapted to the pro style systems. Now, the fact that 70% of our players played in the NFL in the last 18 months does help significantly. Um, but we'll see. I, I think people will be pleasantly surprised that when the Super Bowl went off the air three nights ago, football didn't have to end. And CBS, you mentioned CBS Sports Network, as well as the main network, NFL Network, a digital presence. Wh- where can people view it? Um, you can watch on um, you can watch on CBS opening night, February 9th. We'll have two games. If you're in the uh, SEC. Uh, country, you'll see the Atlanta versus Orlando game. If you're in the rest of the country, you're going to see San Antonio versus San Diego. Um, if you are in, uh, and then the next day at 4:30 on Sunday, you'll see CBS SN, and then that night in primetime, Sunday Night Football will be on NFL Network. And then going forward, every Saturday afternoon there'll be a game on TNT or Bleacher Report Live. Um, Saturday mm-hmm. and Sunday night will be NFL Network. And Sunday afternoon, every Sunday at 4.30 will be CBS SN. Uh, and all the games are available um, uh, in one form or another on our app, uh, the Alliance app in the App Store and uh, uh, Google Store. Um, and additionally, if you want to learn anything else, go to AAF.com and you can learn everything that's going on. And season goes from now, early February, until when? Uh, the season runs from February 9th to April 27th, so the exact window, one week after the Super Bowl to the NFL draft. Mm. Championship game that will be in Las Vegas on CBS. Charlie Ebersol, founder, co-founder with Bill Polian of the Alliance of American Football, starting this weekend on man, many outlets. We wish you all the best. We'll be watching. Thanks so much for filling the void of, of us wanting more football. Thank you, sir. I appreciate you taking the time and uh, look forward to catching all of you in the not-too-distant future. Hey, really hope you enjoyed listening to Charlie Ebersole as much as I did bringing it to you. Fascinating conversation about a new football league starting with a lot of NFL contacts this week and running through the NFL dead season, which is from now until the NFL draft. You know, Super Bowl's over, but the action continues. NBA, college basketball, NHL, trade deadline in the NBA, if I've been talking about there's only one place that has all the early lines, all the action. That's betonline.ag. Sign up today. You get a free account at betonline.ag. Use our promo code PODCAST1, 50% sign-up bonus today. NBA action. Can anyone slow down the Warriors? Is Denver the real deal? The Bucks and Raptors are at the top of the East. Lakers, are they going to make a move? College basketball. You got Duke, always steady Virginia, both Michigans, Gonzaga. Watch out for surprising Nevada. They're at 19-1 to to win it all. And, of course, NHL action as well. So use your mobile device today. Use the promo code PODCAST1. 50% sign-up bonus 
Also, try the in-game live betting app for all the fun action. BetOnline.ag, your online sportsbook experts. That'll do it for this week's edition of the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. Really appreciate all your kind comments. Those that follow me on Twitter at Andrew Brandt, those that give Apple Podcast rankings, always appreciate nice comments and rankings. Thanks to my extraordinary producer, Brian Neal, and we'll be back next week with another edition of the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. Thanks for listening to the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode. You can also get additional insider insight by listening to the Ross Tucker Football Podcast, Fantasy Feast, Even Money, and College Draft Podcast, all at rostucker.com or wherever podcasts are found. Winning comes in all shapes and sizes. It's different for everyone. One thing is certain, every day there's an opportunity for a win. Just like scratchers from the Virginia Lottery. Every day grab and go. Everyday giftable. Everyday fun. It's where anticipation meets instant gratification. Like the new Virginia Lottery Scratcher High Roller Blackjack with a chance to win up to 10 times your prize. Now, that's an everyday win. Drive to a retailer near you. Odds of winning any prize, 1 in 4.16.